for this episode today, we're going to do our countdown of our top five favorite episodes of the year, two of which were selected by you, two of which were selected by me, and one of which was a favorite episode of both of ours. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Before we get into our top five episodes for the year, I just want to say how amazing I think it is that we have published almost 70 episodes in a year. How did you do that? I, we've been productive. We've been busy. It's you a are good, master editor. We, it is a good thing. We like each other so much. <laughs> yeah. Dare I say love each other. <laughs> also, before we get into discussing these five favorite episodes, just want to remind our audience that we have an awesome Q&A coming out right at the end of the month. We are not skipping a beat even through the holiday week. We are publishing every week. Our mini-sodes are coming out every other Monday. And first week of January, we are in season two, ready to go. We've got a great episode locked and loaded for the first Wednesday in January. I'm very excited about that one. But for now, let's get into our top five. So one of my favorite episodes of the year is the episode where we have Heather Coram from Canine Company talking about how to prepare your dog for bringing a baby home. I know that's Trisha, I remember when I suggested that episode topic to you and you were like, okay. You know, dogs are very sensitive to their environment and environmental changes can be a big deal for them. Now, oftentimes our clients' dogs are their first baby. And when their actual baby comes into the world, you know, everybody's so excited, but there's nervousness and anxiety. And the dog is picking up on all of that energy. The dog is picking up on, I don't really know why mom is so, you know, different than she used to be. Maybe there's new habits or or new things coming into the home. And so the confusion that can result from all of that activity and all of those emotions can become difficult for a dog to understand. So it's really important since you have, you know, almost nine months to figure this out, it's really important to get ahead of it for the safety of all involved, for the mental health of all involved, and just for, again, the harmony in the home so that the dog understands um, this is a this is a great change. This isn't a new member of the family. No, I'm not being replaced. I'm still the fluffy baby. Um, but we want to make sure that everybody's on on the same page as to what what each individual needs from this for the safety of the baby, as well as the mental health of the parents and the dog. And you're not going to believe this, Trisha. Are you ready for this? Yeah, ready. As you know, our roundtable episodes and our Q&A episodes get the greatest number of plays. But of all of the interview episodes we have done in the entire past year, this Introducing your baby to your dog episode is ranked number one, even among all the famous people we've interviewed. This is the number one most played interview episode of the entire year. I mean, it's a great topic. I have to say when, when you, when you thought of that, uh, that was, that was a brilliant idea. It is such an important thing. And so many people go through that, that transition. And there's so many sort of like, oh my gosh, like, hmm, what do we do about that? And how do we manage that? 
Um, so I can see why people were so curious about it. Plus, it's just like, who doesn't love to hear about dogs and babies? Another thing that I think it's important to understand is that confusion can happen when there's not a clear expectation of uh, the dog's uh, responsibilities, not only to the baby, but, but to the household. Um, those responsibilities include, you know, being a, a well-mannered, you know, we're not jumping, we're not barking at every little thing, just knowing when it's time to stop playing and settle down. And so having a routine and setting up, uh, just like you would for a baby, in this case, you can make a parallel, Having a routine and for the dog to understand when he can expect things to happen, as well as when he can expect things won't happen, like, no, it's baby's feeding time. We're not going for a walk right now, is really helpful. So if you can set something up like that, because we all know that we are going to get disrupted. There's going to be those middle of the night feedings and cries and all that. And we can't necessarily prepare for that, but we can try to make things as structured as possible. Um, introducing your dog to the things that you will be using that he's never seen before, like a stroller, for example, or the car seat. These are things that he should get familiar with before baby is even born. Uh, and it, certainly if you're walking your dog on a regular basis, maybe you're going to be walking him next to an empty stroller until baby comes home and is in the stroller with you. They, they can't just acclimate instantly. They need a little gradual transition into that. I'm guessing even cat people might listen to this episode. Yeah, that no, yeah, that would be a lot harder episode. How do you introduce a cat and a baby? I think zoo. I think zoo suggested that, and I was like, zoo, you're joking, right? Cats don't. Cats don't care. At all. You don't introduce cats to anybody or anything. They just cats are like, I'm obviously still the most important soul in this house. So I don't they know just, why. They're like whatever. They're sleeping in the baby crib probably like before long. Um, Day two. I loved this episode and it's funny because I just started a new hypnobirthing class a week and a half ago and month after month, I've been asking couples for a show of hands on Zoom who has a dog and I swear it's over 80% every time. Mm. I don't know if it's a select population in, in hypnobirthing or in people who are pursuing you know, independent childbirth classes, but I think it must be more common than we realize that couples who are planning a family are somehow consciously or subconsciously thinking, well, let's get a dog first and see how we do. So I think it's, I think it's total first step. Let's try a dog, see how we do. <laughs> then we'll go for a baby next. And again, if you have cats, good luck to you. But there's a lot. <laughs> we've, we've both had cats too. Nothing Whoa. against cats, but they're newly, newly to the cat world over here. The next morning, I got a phone call from another midwife at the practice who was in a panic that the first midwife had let me leave at 39 weeks and four days without having gone straight across the street to the hospital for this procedure. And I don't remember the conversation well, but I do remember her saying, and make sure you pack a bag because odds are you will have your baby by C-section this afternoon. And that sent me into a full-on panic. I just felt like I had absolutely zero control over the situation. I didn't even have a minute to think about what what to do. So right in that moment when I got that phone call, I was feeling um, just totally overwhelmed and scared. And I felt like I had zero say in how this was going to go. I had literally been eating as I was on the phone with her. And she was like, put the food down right now because you have to be prepared in case you have to go in for surgery. 
and I'm 39 weeks now, five days pregnant. So Trisha, tell us why you picked Jessica's Footling Breach Birth as one of your favorite episodes of the year, because we've had some extremely cool, unusual birth stories. Um, So go ahead and tell us why you picked this one. I picked Jessica's Footling Breach Birth because her decision to birth her baby the way she did and how she did and the journey she went on to get there, to me, is the most outstanding, courageous birth story I have ever heard. And then they could tell I was trying to resist pushing because I didn't want his feet to come out before I was ready. And one of the midwives said, no, it's okay. If you really feel the urge to push, you you can start. So it was only a few minutes of pushing, um, and he was out with the exception of his head. So, you know, they were checking the cord, and everything was going fine. There was probably four midwives plus Michael there. And one of the midwives says to me, we want you to get into a runner's lunge. And in my head, I in the, thought... You're still in the tub. In the tub. He's mostly delivered at this point they just needed his head like his chin to tuck Uh a little bit so his head could slip out and so somehow I threw a leg forward and got into this runner's lunge and felt him come out and one of the midwives actually gave him a little nudge and he floated through my legs and I was able to receive him myself to me just the faith and the trust that she had in her body to be willing to do that to make that journey to be on the road to be to to believe that she was going to give birth vaginally naturally to a baby that you know normally just doesn't come out that way not just breech but with the foot down first was so to me just 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 an example of having unshakable trust in yourself to travel to Amish country of all places in labor, oh, in, in labor. But when you think about that moment where they said, put your food down and you need to come in, can you like, can you even imagine what that was like for her in that moment where she felt all the pressure of the world on her? And, and so many of our birth story episodes are like that. We have one coming up with Christina in January. That is another remarkable episode that she was literally outside of the hospital and was told to come in right now and completely changed her birth story in the very final moments. These really are remarkable stories. And they're not easy. They're not easy for the women who do them. No, no, that was a very, very hard decision. And it's her bravery that I'm so impressed by. And that's why I love that story. So the number three spot may come as a surprise because it is without question the most difficult episode we have to listen to our stillbirth roundtable. And I do have a preference for our roundtable episodes to begin with. I think there's nothing we can put out there that is so precious and valuable as bringing together three people who've had a shared experience. And in this case, it was that they all had stillborn babies. And we just listen like a fly on the wall. And we hear their unique perspectives. And, you know, we just sometimes forget that when women have been told their babies have died in utero, they still have to face childbirth, Mm -hmm. knowing what they know. And so do their partners. It was so hard to know that that's where he spent his night instead of with us. And so after we let him go, they switched us out of that room. And as they wheeled us out, I looked at the door and their symbol in that hospital for loss was um, 
a white ribbon. And so anywhere, anytime there was a lost mom, that's on the door so that anyone who comes in knows, um, you know, to be respectful and to tread lightly. And I just remember being rolled out and going, I was the woman behind that door. That, that was me. And I remember waiting for the car to come around because we're down in the city and only valet parking was the only option. And, you know, we were leaving with no baby. We weren't putting anything in a car seat. And sitting next to me is a woman in a wheelchair just staring at her brand new baby as she waits for the car to come around. And it's just, it's, it's devastating to, to be pregnant and, and leave without a baby. And then in the second half of this hour-long episode, I just, I was blown away by what these women had to say about their experience in processing the grief, mm-hmm. in discussing the difference between how their husbands were treated from how they were treated, learning that the grief peaks at about four months, long after everyone has stopped checking on them or like long after everyone has moved on and expects her to move on. I... I don't even have the words to articulate how deeply this episode touches me. Just listen. It speaks for itself. So I found that mostly people were thinking about us, but they were completely silent. Um, And so I actually, um, I think it was right before Easter, I called my mom just like irate. I'm like, I'm not coming to Easter because the family doesn't care and I don't want to see them. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I haven't heard... I really haven't heard from anyone. It's been like a month and I haven't heard from anyone. She's like, oh, well, everyone keeps calling me and asking how you're doing. I'm like, that's super. (laughs) (laughs) I'm over here wondering, have I been a crap? Like, does my family not love me? Have I done something in the past to offend them that I'm not worthy of their love and support right now? Um, My friends were silent as well. And um, so I started, you know, amongst the grief and everything else that you're doing, you're starting to question do I have friends? Did I make them mad? Have I, been, have I not been the friend that I thought I was? Why isn't my family here? Where is this circle that I was told was going to appear to help me through this? Because they're not here. And even when I was kind of extremely articulate with what I wanted and needed from people, they just, they weren't sure. Do they mention it? Do they not mention it? Do they ask how I'm doing? What if I'm having a good day and they ask how I'm doing? They'll upset me. And they just, their their uncertainty results in just doing nothing. And it got to the point, like, am I insane? Am I the only one who thinks this happened right now? Did did I not lose my son? Is this not devastating? And it's like, I started to question my own sanity. And it's, it's very, very challenging because you expect the grief. I don't think you expect the isolation and the people you normally turn to for comfort suddenly felt like strangers because there was no, they couldn't relate to you on this level, which is where you needed to be right now. And Easter wasn't too long after our loss. And um, I'm from a large family. There's probably 30 people there that day. And four, four of them came up to me, hugged me and said, I'm sorry. The rest of them did not address the loss at all. Um, And many of them avoided talking to me or even saying hi because they knew, they didn't know what to do. And they're like, well, do I, if I say hi, I should probably address the loss, but I don't know if I should address the loss, so I'm just going to opt out. And people get so hung up on saying the right thing or obsessing, am I going to say the wrong thing? Be honest. I don't know what to say to you right now, but I'm just, 
you're heavy on my mind. It's it's that it's that simple. It's that simple. And the silence is absolutely the worst. Um, it does stink when someone says something that they shouldn't have. Um, but some of my fondest memories are I had a cousin who came up to me and was very awkward, but he's, you know, trying to say, I'm sorry for your loss and I'm here for you. And you could see how uncomfortable he was, but he still did it. And I just wanted to like grab him by the face and kiss him mm-hmm. because it was just, it was so obvious that he didn't know how to do it, but he knew that he had to and he wanted to. And I still remember every person who came up to me that day and they kind of all took their turn and waited till I was like off to the side and came up and hugged me. And it, it was everything. It really was. Uh, when you when you walk to that hospital without your baby and you feel like this is you're the only person this has ever happened to, you know, to find that there are other people out there who who not only have been through this but have survived it, who have found joy again, um, and who've come out the other side. I mean, it's it's a really powerful thing because you you're just staring into this abyss, um, and you don't know how how you're going to claw your way back out from the bottom of it. That was a beautiful, amazing episode of women truly just putting it all out there. And like you said, the the, the major takeaway and what I think everyone needs to hear is that it's it's never the wrong thing to talk about their loss. It's never the wrong thing to bring up the child's name. They want you to ask. They want you to say their baby's name you know, when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, what, what a relief. Because when you are close to somebody or you know somebody that this has happened to, you're, it, it's so, you're so unsure of, you know, triggering their, their pain. You're so unsure of what to say and how to respond. And the best thing you can do is to talk about that baby, to say their name, to ask, to, to acknowledge it. And, um, that was just so helpful to hear. I agree with you. And there was also a segment in that episode where we talked about how the fathers were often considered the gatekeepers to the mothers. I mean, the fathers too lost a child, but after the first week or, or two, it's like all the relatives and friends went to the father and said, how is she? How is she? How is she doing? So a, she was, she was kept isolated and B he was, he was overlooked in that sense. He was her gatekeeper. And in January, we're having a very powerful episode by a father, and he went through something extraordinarily traumatic, and he discovered the same thing and ended up writing a book about it. Fathers, in a sense, can be marginalized in this experience. And um, even though it is intense on a very different level for the mothers, they've lost a child too. And all three of the women in this episode acknowledged that they, through all their grief, they recognized their husbands were not only their gatekeeper, but were were in a sense overlooked as a grieving parent it, for right. the sake of protecting her and speaking for her and supporting her. If when you think, when you visualize giving birth based on whatever you see in the media or whatever you have witnessed, you imagine a woman on her back in the bed. That is completely the opposite of upright positioning. So when you walk into a hospital room, you know, where's the birthing stool? That's where you need to go. 
All right. So Tricia, you selected the one in the number two spot. Tell us why you picked birth plan 101 as one of your top episodes. I picked it because I think that it's the foundation of having your best birth. And it is not to me, it is one that everybody needs to hear because it's the things, it's the practical things that you can put down on paper and say, this, this, and this are evidence-based and this, this, and this are not. Therefore, I can make my choices about how I'm going to think about my birth plan and plan my birth. Because we don't want women to believe their labors are predestined. If we know we can alter the duration of your labor with something like one-on-one support, then we know there's an emotional component to labor. We already do know that for a fact because it's all hormonally driven with either endorphins like oxytocin or with catecholamines like cortisol or adrenaline. But I just want everyone to really think about that. Emotional support shortens labor. That's more evidence supporting what we talk about, that how you feel while you're giving birth has a biophysical response on the birth itself, making birth more comfortable and safer. That's what it's all about. That continuous support is the thing that makes the woman feel safer while she's giving birth. And feeling safe while you're giving birth is essential to the physiologic process working the way it should. Let's just touch on episiotomy. No more episiotomies. It is associated with increased risk of extended lacerations, third and fourth degree. It is not ever to be used routinely. The list goes on and on of all the complications of episiotomy. All you need to know is there is no evidence to support its routine use. And it increases the likelihood of a deeper tear. That episode has had a ton of plays, by the way. But that's why. Well, all right. Which brings us to the number one episode of the year that we both selected among our top three. So that's why we have five in total instead of six. We had a shared episode number one. Trisha, let's start to play a little of this episode right now and let our listeners figure out what it's all about. I mean, how? I, I, I felt bad for him sometimes. But actually, when we talked about having a third... One of the reasons I said I was worried about it was I I said, I don't want to have to find my way back to you again. And I don't mean that I fell out of love with him. I don't feel that I... How did he respond to that? He he, he, he understood. He understood because there's just a time when it's not it's not about him right Right. and he has and i was lucky because he was a partner who understood and listened and and kept trying to be a part and bond but um you know a part of what was going on not apart from us but i i remember thinking i don't want to it was so much work to find my way back to you and we were in a great spot where we were us again and we were intimate again and we were all those things and i didn't want to have to go back to the part again that you know right after the baby when it's like no one touch me no I no touchy yeah. enough touching, <laughs> enough touching. I, I I'm totally. naked all day I'm not getting <laughs> naked again yeah. like you know and it's like and to get naked you got to take 85 pieces of clothing off and it all has stains on it like it was just there's not there's what of this is intimate you know but it, that's how I felt and so real like, okay my mom Community. you know we brought up like the ants and the the great ants that were around and probably cooking in my 
yes. grandparents' mm-hmm. generation. And we were learning by you example. Were, yes, and you were yes. with people. I think I look back at my first three months, and I was alone for a lot of yes. it. Isolation. Like it's really, yeah. it's really sad to think about. Yes, yes. isolation. Like my parents' generation had, you had people like cooking, like the old noni in the kitchen, probably making lasagna, like in my grandma's generation. So I come home the next night, and I haven't slept now in three solid days, and the baby's hysterical and and we can't soothe her I can't soothe her there's nothing that's making this child happy and I'm losing my mind and I'll never forget being in our our guest bathroom our second bathroom upstairs my my baby's bathroom and I'm looking around it and all the things that I had done prior to her birth all the ridiculous things I spent time and money and energy on and there's like freaking bath toys and like you know the all natural organic bath gel all these things that now in hindsight I'm like Christ I'm so ill prepared for this and I just remember looking up at the mirror and my husband was like fine like he was like in the bedroom maybe listening to her cry or holding her but it was like not it was not affecting him the Mm -hmm. way it was affecting me because obviously we're built for it to affect us and I was just I was beyond myself and I remember thinking I made a huge mistake I shouldn't have had a baby I don't know how to do this I'm a horrible mom already oh my God, my life is over. And I kept saying in my head, my life is over, my life is over. Our postpartum roundtable has earned the spot of our favorite episode of the year. You know, when people envision women getting together to have an authentic, open conversation among themselves, I think they imagine that they're complaining or speaking negatively about their husbands. It's just not how it goes. They're genuinely grappling with the fact that their needs aren't being met, They want to feel closer to their husbands. They long for their husbands or their partners to understand what this experience is like because they're exhausted. Every part of their lives has changed. I think they did an absolutely beautiful job. And I think, Trisha, we should do a postpartum roundtable every single year. I would definitely agree with that. Um, And I think it was so reassuring for everyone there, including the two of us, to hear that everybody's experience is kind of the same. It's what we go through. Yeah, it's just what we go through. And it's not all roses and, you know, lovey-dovey moments. But it's part of it. That's why we started this. It was never about just teaching information and, you know, spitting out data and our feelings and philosophies. It was always about bringing people together to share, to relate, to connect. Well, I think we also started the podcast because we were asking ourselves in earnest, how can we possibly spend a few more hundred hours together per year? (laughs) (laughs) Again, a reminder, this isn't our last episode of the year. We're not skipping a beat. We do have our December Q&A coming out the week between Christmas and New Year's. We're proceeding as usual with another episode um, next Wednesday and every other Monday. Thank you for taking part in this year-end review. It's been a beautiful experience for us. And despite what everyone says about 2020, this has been a wonderful year in many ways for us. And I hope we can all say the same. I think we were actually amazingly lucky to start a podcast in 2020. For us personally, through all these challenging moments of being isolated through COVID, this podcast has been the outlet for us. It has been, it has been the exact antithesis to to isolation. I feel very lucky that it fell on this year that we started this. It has been a saving grace for my heart. Ah, mine too, Trisha. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter 
at Down to Birth Show or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthshow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. To me, it is such an important episode that it's something that we will update annually. So in 2021, we'll have birth plan 102. Similar, or is it, or is it 201? <laughs> right, it is 201. <laughs> I don't know. No, I think you're right. That's how they do it in college, anyway. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. But what, yeah. does it really matter? No, it doesn't. <laughs> 201 is better. I think. Um, do you remember the conversation when you were like, should you know? thinking about starting a podcast. Do you remember the conversation? Yes. I remember the decided. I, I said, clients are asking me about this and I know I'm never going to do it, but I'm just wondering what you think, but I know I'm never going to do it, but I'm just wondering what you think. <laughs> and then you were like, let's do it. And I had no idea what I was saying. I was just like, let's do it. 